Grace and peace to you this morning. We're uh, so thankful that you're with us today. And I want to thank Larry and Bobby and Kent for reading those passages from Jude. We'll have one more reading um, at the end of our worship. Uh, Before we begin with the lesson, we want to make a special announcement. The the Etu family, John, Christine, Jackson, and Caroline, uh, desire to place membership with us. And so they're sitting in the back, and we say we want to welcome them, and we're so thankful that they want to uh, be a part of this congregation. So we encourage you after services to uh, meet them and get to know them, and we look forward uh, to them working alongside us. Another announcement, uh, some of you may be wondering about ladies' Bible class because Mrs. Crosby has taught that for for years and years and years. Um, And we usually, they they usually take a break during the summer, but continue in the school year. And of course, Mrs. Crosby has been ill recently, but she has uh, stated that she desires to continue to teach. And so if she can, she'll be there to teach it. If not, then someone else will fill in for her. So if you're one of those who attend ladies' Bible class, then please come for that. We are beginning a new series this morning, Little Letters. And so for a few weeks, we're going to look at some books in the Bible that sometimes go unnoticed. In September, we've got a couple of guest speakers that are going to be with us. We've got the Taylors who are coming to talk about mission work in Japan And then Jim Martin is coming for our men's day, but he's going to stay over on Sunday and talk to us about the importance of family. As we begin this morning, I want to begin with a quote that I found in a commentary on Jude. And this is from David De Silva. And he writes, if Bible publishers stopped printing Jude, it might take years for some people to notice. And even then, not everyone would mind. Jude's short letter is almost wholly concerned with proclaiming divine judgment and declaring certain rival teachers to stand condemned under that judgment. His rant is not in keeping with a culture that values dialogue and that promotes pluralism and tolerance. He relies perhaps too much on obscure scriptures such as First Enoch, which few modern people have ever heard of, let alone read. We profess to believe that all Scripture is inspired of God. Some of you may even be able to quote 2 Timothy 3.16, which says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is a verse that is dear to us. We profess that, that all Scripture comes from God and it is profitable. It is of value. But we don't always practice what we preach. And so there may be some books of the Bible where the pages kind of stick together because we've never turned there before. Or the pages still look brand new because they've never been used. We have our our favorite parts of the Bible that we often go to. But there are other parts of the Bible that, that rarely get referenced or read. And so in this series, we want to explore these lesser-known parts of Scripture. We want to see how they are profitable for us today. And so we're going to begin this morning with the book of Jude. Jude is found at the end of the Bible. It's positioned between Third John and Revelation. And here are just a few facts about this little letter. The author of it is Jude, and Jude is a brother of Jesus. 
It contains 25 verses, and that's it. That means that there are some chapters of the Bible that are longer than this entire letter. The audience is Jewish Christians. That's not because we're told this, but because of multiple references that Jude makes, we can deduct that he's probably writing to Jewish Christians, or at least people with a Jewish background. Uh, the, The purpose is to encourage Christians to contend for the faith. And there are a few interesting facts about uh, Jude. Probably one of the most unique is he quotes First Enoch, which uh, you might be scratching your head and say, where's First Enoch? Well, it's not in your Bible. It's a Jewish apocryphal book. And I think that we can learn an important lesson from Jude here because um, you know, there are some Bibles that contain uh, what's called the Apocrypha. Um, and we kind of wonder about that. We may be leery about that. So what's our position on these apocryphal books? Uh, I would suggest that we view them not as scripture. They are not included in the holy canon. But they are good books. And books that uh, are of some value. Books that we might want to read from time to time. That is the position that the early church took. And and I would suggest that, that we do the same. And so they're not books to be leery about, but they're also, uh, you know, not Scripture. And so just kind of understand that. Um, also interesting, Second Peter quotes and he makes use of Jude's letter. And so we don't really know the date of Jude, but we know that it comes before Second Peter. And then uh, he references something called love feasts. And when you see that, you might be scratching your head. What's, what's a love feast? Well, uh, this is a term that we don't use nowadays, but it was used in the early church, and it was a a meal that was often associated with the Lord's Supper. And so that's what he means by that. The outline of the book is pretty simple. And in fact, the the readings from Jude that we've heard this morning will follow this outline. There is a a standard greeting. There is a, a purpose. You might think of this as the thesis statement of the book. There's the body of the book, which Larry graciously read for us this morning. And then we'll conclude this morning with a doxology. And that's kind of a, you know, what does that word mean? Well, it means praise. It's kind of like a prayer at the end of the book. And you'll find uh, several books in the Bible that conclude with a doxology, a prayer at the end. Well, if you're looking at Jude, looking at those uh, two verses that, that Kent began worship with, he begins like other letters that we find in the New Testament. And so he, he first tells us who he is. He tells us that he is Jude. Not the, the Jude from the Beatles song, but another Jude. Um, Jude was a common name back then. And so he has to further identify himself. And he says, I, I'm, I'm Jude, I'm the brother of James. Well, who's this James? Well, he was the one who was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And he is a brother of Jesus. He also wrote a letter. Um, a letter that's more well known than the book of Jude. The audience for the letter is not identified specifically. We're not given any names. We're not given a location for where this letter was going. The most significant thing about this greeting, I think, has to do with how Jude sees his own identity. You'll remember that Jude is the brother of Jesus. He is blood-related to the Son of God. But that's not what he leads with. Instead, he sees himself... First and foremost, as a servant of Jesus Christ. And so being a disciple, being a a follower of Jesus, is more important to him 
than being blood related to Jesus. And so we learn here that Jude places great value on being a Christian. And this should cause us to contemplate how much value or how much we value our identity in Christ. And so you might take a moment and reflect on that. Who are you? When you think of who you are, what's the first thing that, that, that pops in your mind? When you introduce yourself to someone, who do you tell them you are? If others were asked to describe you uh, based off maybe your conversations, what they've heard you say, or maybe off of your uh, social media posts, what would they say? How would they identify you? You know, they might say, well, this is a person that, that loves their family. Or this is a person that likes football. Or this is a person that's interested in politics. Or this is a person who likes to garden. But would they say, this is a person who is a follower of Jesus? Would they pick up on that from, from what you say on a regular basis and from what you post on social media and from other things, what your actions are? Well, Jude leads with his allegiance to Jesus. He wants people to know that if you want to know him, then you need to know that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. The next two verses are perhaps the most important in the letter because they tell us what the letter is all about. And I want to read them again. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you to you about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ." We learn here that Jude wanted to write one kind of letter, but because of certain circumstances, he is compelled to write another kind of letter. He wants to write about their common salvation. That's what he wants to talk about, but there's a crisis. And this crisis needs to be addressed. And the crisis involves some individuals who are trying to introduce heresy into the church. And so Jude famously advises the Christians there that he's writing to to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all delivered means that the faith that was practiced you know, in the first century is the same faith that we practice today. It doesn't change over time. Now some people may say it does, but it doesn't change. It's the same faith once for all. And so uh, these intruders are guilty of two kinds of heresy. First, he says they were perverting the grace of God into self-indulgence. And second, they were denying Christ. Later in the letter, Jude accuses them of walking in the way of Cain. He says that's how they're behaving. He also says they defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. We cannot know everything about these individuals, but... Jude gives us a pretty good idea of what's going on here. 
And so to pervert the grace of God is to take advantage of God's favor. Paul deals with this in Romans as well. Uh, and you have a couple verses in Romans 6, 1 through 2, where he gives a pretty good answer to it. And, and he asks a question and he answers it. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Basically, since we have grace now, does that mean we can just go do whatever we want to do? Because we have grace, can we just keep on sinning? And then he gives the answer. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And, and so because we are saved by grace, does not mean that we can live however we want to live. There are Christian morals and ethics that we are to adhere to. Paul correctly states becoming a Christian means that we die to sin. This means that we should no longer want to live a life of sin. Now, we're going to mess up. We're going to sin. But, but what Paul's talking about is we should no longer want to sin. We should not want that kind of life. And if anyone seeks to take advantage of the grace of God, they pervert the gospel. And Jude outlines at least three ways these people are taking advantage of the grace of God. And so he says they defile the flesh, and he compares their actions to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so they are involved in sexual immorality, and there's, there's no shame for what they do. They dishonor the goodness of sexuality. God, sexuality is actually a blessing. God gives us this thing, um, but you can, you can dishonor it by using it in ways that God never intended. He says that's what's going on here. You know, there's, there's the gift of sexuality that God gives humanity. Sex is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But there are ways that you can dishonor this gift, and that's what's going on. He next says that they reject authority. And there are various kinds of authorities that we're to respect in this world. But Jude probably has in mind here the authority of God. They are rejecting God. They're rejecting God's ways. And so they have no respect for the word of God. And they have no respect uh, or no interest in obeying God's commands. And finally, he accuses them of blaspheming the glorious ones. And this is probably the most mysterious of the three. But it's obvious they're in some way blaspheming what is holy. And so there are sacred things in this world. And, and they should be treated as such. Uh, one of the main ones being the name of God. We are instructed in the Ten Commandments to, to treat the name of God with reverence and respect. And so we don't know exactly what these individuals are doing, but, but what, what they are doing is they're profaning something that is holy. That's what's going on. Uh, the book of Jude has much to say about judgment. And so uh, he, he lets us know that there will be consequences for those who reject the ways of God. And, and he outlines several historical accounts where people... Uh, were held accountable for their actions. There's going to be a day of judgment. And this is something that we should all take into account when deciding who it is we're going to follow and in what way we're going to live. And so God's grace is a wonderful thing. 
But if we reject God or we try to take advantage of God, then he, Jude lets us know we will face his wrath. And people don't like to talk much about judgment these days. But perhaps we should consider what it would be like to live in a world where no one was held accountable for their actions. What would a world like that look like? It wouldn't be a pleasant world. Innocent people would be taken advantage of. Violence would rule. The lowly um, would be trampled. Property would not be respected. You know, we, we rarely stop to consider what such a world would be like. God offers forgiveness to all. He offers grace and mercy to all. But if you choose to reject God and His ways, then Jude wants you to know, as well as Paul and Jesus and others, that there is going to be a day of judgment. And so this is the book of Jude. But what does this ancient, often overlooked book have to do with us today? You know, why, why are we spending time here on Sunday morning looking at Jude? Let me just say a few things. The call to uh, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, I believe is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And so if you consider the problems that, that Jude was dealing with, little has changed over the years. Uh, sexual immorality is still a major problem today. Many people have turned their backs on marriage. Others have redefined what it means. The sexual revolution has done great harm to our society. And so people regularly follow their own desires without considering the harm it does to themselves and the harm it does to others. Um, you know, People will sometimes tell you in regards to this, I'm not hurting anyone. Well, you are. You're hurting yourself and you're hurting others. Um, the rejection of authority is another challenge that we face in modern times. And so institutions that have long blessed our society are being outright rejected. Christianity is in decline because of this rejection of institutions and authority. People no longer respect God or the Bible. Instead, God and the Bible are openly mocked. And what is holy is profaned. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I've noticed it over the last several years. Uh, this word irreverent, and so not reverent, but irreverent, has become a positive quality. You know, it's, it's used, I, I see it used to promote movies, TV shows, plays. Come watch this, it's irreverent. And so you say something is irreverent and people want to see it. And so we live in a culture that values making fun of what is sacred. And I think that's a dangerous thing. Uh, in a world like ours, we must contend earnestly for the faith. Now we are to be a people known for love. We're to love our neighbors, we're to, to love our enemies, we're to show kindness to all, we're to do good, but we're also to contend for the faith. And so in order to contend for the faith, we must first know what the faith is. This is one reason why we offer Bible classes, you know. We need to be a people who 
know what the Bible says. We need to be reading our Bibles. We need to be studying our Bibles. We need to be able to explain what we believe and why we believe it. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul tells us to speak the truth in love. This implies that we know what the truth is and that we are willing to speak up for it. If we do not contend for the faith, then how do we expect the world to hear the truth? The gospel is scandalous. Everyone will not welcome it. But that does not matter. It's the truth. It's the most precious thing that we have in this world. And so why would anyone refuse to say what is true? Why would we keep quiet about the very thing that can solve the world's problems? And so Jude has called us in this small letter that sometimes gets overlooked. He's called us to speak up for the gospel. We are to bear witness to a lost and dying world. We are to stand up for the precious faith, a faith that Jesus gave his life for. And we do this knowing that God is with us every step of the way. That as Jude concludes, he says that it is God who is able to keep us from stumbling. And it is God who's able to present us blameless for the presence of his glory. Are we blameless people? No. But that's the grace of God there. He's able to present us blameless. And so there is a great reward that awaits us all. And so until then, may we contend for the faith every step of the way. Let's pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we uh, bow before you today and uh, we lament many of the things that are going on in our world. We lament the rejection of you, the rejection of your holy word. Um, We pray that everyone would come to know you and your love and that they would learn to love others as we have and learn to do good to their neighbor and to seek peace and to practice all the the wonderful things that you've given us in your holy word. Father, be with us uh, as we contend for the faith. We know that uh, being a Christian is not always an easy thing, that it involves courage. So may we have the courage to do what is right. We're so thankful for your son who was an example of a courageous individual who stood up to evil, who stood up to tyrants, and who stood against everything that is wrong. May we follow in his example. We pray this in his name. Amen.